actress Katherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 today. Millions of people every day venture out to a grocery store to pick up necessary items. We all go in expecting to buy our food or whatever else and not worry about something being off. We certainly want to believe that we are safe. For the vast majority of those that go to buy the groceries, we'll have no problems at all. But that can't be said for those who went shopping at the Topps Friendly Market grocery store in Buffalo, New York, just over a week ago. In this episode, I will be discussing the Buffalo, New York, Topps Friendly Market Active Shooter. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Music City 911. So this episode, I'm going to start off by talking about this active shooter that happened up in Buffalo. I requested copies of the 911 calls, but the local government of Buffalo has decided that any 911 call that are placed there within their jurisdiction would not be released to the public. That's not just for this incident, but every incident. Media and the public alike are not going to be able to listen to any calls placed there. What I do have in this episode is a mixture of the police and fire radio dispatch audio that was taken from a scanner in the area. Pretty sure this has only been talked about, but hasn't been played anywhere else, so you'll be the first to hear it. I will have to explain a few things about what you're going to hear, though. As I said, this is audio from a scanner. For those of you that haven't listened to a scanner before, it's not like listening directly to a radio channel. It scans and stops to listen when there's audio, only when it's being played. And if there's a long enough gap, the scanner is going to jump to the next signal it finds. So this is going to be all police. It's not going to be all fire. There's going to be some of both traffic mixed in with it. You'll also be missing some transmissions because of this. But overall, you're going to be able to get an idea of what's going on and how it developed on the police and fire's response. I've whittled down a good portion of the audio to bring in a little over 10 minutes on it. 
Keep in mind, too, that this incident was far from over when I cut off the audio. There was still radio traffic going on for hours and likely even days about this. This will be just the initial response. If anyone would like to hear more about it, feel free to message me and I can let you know where to go to to listen to the audio past this point. Because there is a lot. Let's go ahead and get going with this and I'll talk more about the incident afterwards. Need a couple cards for Shacksford, 1275 Jefferson. He's all 1275 Jefferson. Dispatch 34 is going. 34 responding. What's the address, Reno? 1275 Jeff. Jones, Reno? 19 in service. Two people down right now. People down. Clear. Fire dispatch, 33 is in service. 33 in. Radio, send, send as many cars as you possibly can. Need more cars? Dispatch truck, 6. Ladder, 6. Just received a civilian report of a police officer shot north of Jefferson. Start like a to the top. Roger. We're going to need a lieutenant over here. Five one's coming. That's still in the store. Expired dispatch. Enjoy dispatch. Ladder six, if you're en route there, we got an update. Possible active shooter at the top. There are still shots being fired. Notified. 
radio if you got any more cars. There's a lot of crowd here. CD. Twenty minutes in, we got at least two shots. Looks like it'll be code. The gun, one's gun secure. One suspect is in custody. Uh, let the ambulance know to come in on the south side. Up top. Roger, welcome. Update. Three shots. At least two headshots. Roger.
inside the tops because we have numerous bodies and we have uh, magazines and uh, bullets and everything so we need uh, evidence to show. Okay, good. Jefferson, they need uh, assisting with traffic, crowd control, and for other things. Charlie 211 radio. All right, the suspect pulled up in Delta Henry Hunter, P025. Okay, sir. We're going to more officers in uh, Atlanta. A lot of family members here looking for their other family members. Be clear, any officers that are responding over to Landon to help out with family members, tell your channel that you're on. Charlie 251 radio. Charlie 251, go ahead. Yeah, for officers on the scene, especially inside the top, make sure that when the ambulance come inside, uh, that they don't disturb the scene. Anybody that's already deceased, we need to leave them there until uh, homicide comes to the scene, please. We have to maintain the integrity of the scene. Correction, there's three bodies outside. There's three bodies outside. So nine total. The that are inside. There is employees that are by the customer service. They're in a room, locked in a room. Go uh, check it out. DO3 to raise. DO3, go ahead. Any other officers coming to this scene? EMC district have it under control inside the tape. They need to control the tape line to make sure nobody comes inside this crime scene. That's clear. I'll uh, pull the wall, Shannon. Dispatch, cop. Christina, come back. District vehicle 43 has two witnesses in it. With that, you heard how everything developed. It started out with a call about shots fired. Very limited info was had as to what was actually happening when they were responding, and then they got on the scene. Then when they actually arrived at the market, 
they started finding people shot in the parking lot. Some were already deceased. Initially, they only found two outside. Then they say three. When they made it inside, more were found. The shooter was also still inside. One of the victims was a retired police officer who was employed as a security guard there. He exchanged gunfire with the suspect, and he did hit him, but the suspect was wearing body armor. For those who don't know, there are varying levels of body armor. Most of them can withstand hits from almost any handgun, which I'm sure is what this security guard was armed with. Soft body armor, usually made from Kevlar, it's a more lightweight armor, and while it will withstand the bullet's penetration, the person wearing it can still definitely feel a good amount of pain when you're shot with it on. I'm guessing he had some heavier, likely AR-500 level 3 plus or higher armor on. This AR-500 is made of steel, and when it's hit, the power from the bullet is dispersed over the area of the steel, making it not felt nearly as much as with the soft body armor. So like I said, I would imagine he was wearing this. Most of that stuff is rifle-rated too, able to withstand 5.56 and 308 bullets, which are used in sniper rifles and AR-15. If he wanted to have a shootout with the incoming police, even if they had standard-issued AR-15s, they might have had problems with him. From the pictures of the suspect standing outside in handcuffs with police, I believe he was probably wearing a plate carrier that housed the armor plate. I'm not sure if he had any sort of ballistic helmet on or not. Direct hits, center mass on someone wearing armor like this will likely have little to no effect on them. For any officers or security guards or even licensed civilian carriers, I highly suggest looking into training to counter such armor. There are ways to do this. If he was wearing the standard armor like that, it would have likely covered just the front and maybe the back portion of his torso. Shooting him on the side or in the head could have stopped him. So as I've said in previous episodes, if you're going to be carrying, be sure to have your training in as well. But regardless of the style of armor he had on and getting back to the incident, when police arrived and confronted the shooter, he had a gun held to either his head or his neck. Varying reports on that. Police managed to talk to him, and he removed the gun from his head, at which time they took him into custody. A few alarming discoveries happened after the shooting actually went down, though. They found that the shooter had an account on the video social media platform called Twitch. It's generally used by gamers to live stream themselves playing video games. In this instance, though, the shooter was live streaming the actual shooting. Luckily, the service took the video down within minutes. I'm hoping police got hold of the video, though, as it will definitely help their case against the shooter. The shooter, Peyton Gendron, who's only 18 years old, seemed like he had a lot going on, and not in a good way. He wrote a 180-page manifesto detailing everything about the shooting, what led up to it, his decisions about what to wear, what sort of guns to buy and use, and especially his many racist and anti-Semitic thoughts. He specifically outlines his hatred for black people and Jewish people, but seemed to leave out a lot of others. He also didn't talk about women or having a hatred for them or 
feminism. And also, surprisingly, he does say he has no problem at all with the LGBT community. He just seems all over the place. Just a year ago, while still in high school, his class was assigned a school project asking about their plans past the graduation. He said he wanted to commit a murder-suicide. Because of that, he was put in for a mental evaluation, but released just a couple days later and was never pinged for the state's red flag law, which would have made him surrender any firearms he did own, as well as make it so he couldn't legally buy more guns. And he did buy a gun. Legally, he went and bought a version of an AR-15 and then illegally modified it to bring it out of the New York state laws restrictions. But regardless of what he did with the guns or whatever, this red flag law that was put in place to reduce or stop things like this didn't help stop this shooting at all. I'm glad that, at minimum, he's been caught and that the shooting was stopped, but that wasn't before 10 people died and another three were injured during the shooting. I have a feeling this dude is in for a rude time when he gets to prison, as he should. This whole thing is all beyond horrible, and there was really no reason for any of it to happen. Something past that that was not directly related to the shooter himself, and many, many of you have sent me emails and messages and posts on our group. News has been circulating that one of the dispatchers received a 911 call from an employee inside the store, and in that call, the employee was whispering, which supposedly angered the dispatcher, at which point the dispatcher hung up on the caller. I have zero way to verify if any of this happened or if it happened as the employee said. Right now, I'm only going to say partially my opinion on it. I would hope that no dispatcher would ever do anything like this. We've had similar incidents in Nashville with active shooters and employees or guests of the store or whatever. They call from where the shooting's happening. I want to believe that any dispatcher would do everything they can within the policy of their center to help these people. I know that some centers have rules in place that if you determine that the caller can provide no further info regarding the shooter, suspect, or any patients, the call can be terminated. That way you can field more calls about maybe where the suspect is or what's going on. And when I say the call can be terminated, by that I mean that the caller can be hung up on hopefully after they're told that help is on the way and to either run or shelter in a safe place. But that would only happen if they couldn't add to the incident itself and only if there's other calls waiting to be answered. Policies like this vary from one town to the next, so it's hard to say if the agency in Buffalo has a policy that's similar. Another policy is that the cell phone itself could have been disconnected or dropped the call suddenly, which actually does happen very often and the dispatcher didn't want to alert the shooter to where the location of the caller was by calling the phone back. Again, I'm not saying that's what happened. It's just a possibility. But there's also the possibility that, just like in the episode I did called Bad Dispatcher, which I know all of y'all have heard, that the dispatcher being accused of this actually did it, just as the employee said. The problem is we may never exactly know since the calls won't be released for public scrutiny. The director of the center has placed the dispatcher on administrative leave and, as said during a press conference, 
He listened to the call, and he has suggested termination for the dispatcher. I'm just like pretty much everyone else that I've talked to about this and that we want to hear the call. But as I said before, this won't be happening. I can see both sides to this argument of not releasing info to the public in regards to the 911 calls, but at its base, these calls are a request for a public service, which is police or fire or medical. Specifically in this case, I don't think releasing the calls would hurt any prosecution against the shooter in cases like that where something critical to the case is held in the 911 call I can understand withholding the release but just till after the trial I really wish I had more to talk about with this but without the 911 calls to outline this further it's harder to get a more direct picture of how it all went down obviously we know what the outcome of everything was an obvious racist shooter who targeted mostly black people in his attack. Like I said before, I'm glad he's caught and I got a feeling he's going to get a good dose of prison justice once he gets in. So unfortunately, that's all I have for this episode. But before I go, if you're wanting a little bit more from my world of podcasting, it's a great time to join my Patreon. I'm starting to release bonus content there. And right now it's open on every level of Patreon. The first bonus content is me discussing the validity of a 911 call on the podcast Tapes from the Dark Side with my podcast and friend TZ, the host of the show. The episode itself is actually pretty long and we discuss many other cases as well, one of which even shocked me. If you want to check that out, head over to patreon.com slash musiccity911 and you'll find a link down in the description. Also, something that may interest you even more than that, Apparently, y'all like my little exit phrase of, y'all have a good one. Message received. Head over to teespring.com slash mc911 and scroll down to the bottom of the page to pick up your own, y'all have a good one t-shirt or tank top. As to the look of it, how we describe it in the South, it's all right. Be sure to share the show with your coworkers and family and friends, especially those who love the true crime genre. And of course, join up with the social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even more past that, the Music City 901 Facebook discussion group, which is where I hang out the most. Until next time, for Music City 901, I'm Brandon, and y'all have a good one.